Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Coastal policy, Tyler. It's just a mishmash. It's a lot of work to understand uh, what's happening on the American shoreline and what to do legally. I mean, look, it's at the local level, it's at the state level, and it's at the national level. And uh, there is a lot that goes into it. The professionals who work in the development of ocean and coastal policy in America have to know a, a boatload of uh, the intricacies, as Tyler, as you know, of ocean and coastal policies is really complicated. And we're going to we're going to do a show today uh, from the nation's capital inside the Beltway with a couple of young professionals who are really cool and uh, working hard on ocean and coastal policy for the United States of America. It's going to be a fun show today, Tyler. It is. And we are featuring Canals Fellows. And I love the Canals Fellowship. It's it's a it's it's probably one of the coolest uh, and I'm going to say most prestigious uh, yeah. ocean and coastal fellowships out there. Uh, there are other great fellowships, too, that NOAA and other federal agencies do that are in this realm. But the Canals Fellowship is really a neat program. We're going to learn all about it today. But um, it's affiliated with Sea Grant. Uh, it's run through NOAA, I believe, principally. Uh, but every single t- here's the thing, Peter. Every single time I have met a Canals Fellow or a former Canals Fellow, I'm just impressed by the people. I am too. It's 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 like an incredible group of folks. Yeah, and great. I think I think, ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna you're gonna get that vibe today when we get to meet our two awesome guests. That is right. Joining us today on the American Shoreline podcast is going to be Caitlin Manley. She is with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services Ecological Services Division, the branch of Coastal and Marine Resources. She's joining us from, as they say, inside the Beltway in our nation's capital, uh, a Canals Fellow uh, as well. And Jess Eason, who's with NOAA, our favorite federal agency. She's in the Office of Legislative and intergovernmental affairs. These are, you know, these are the folks who have to go up onto the hill and uh, talk to our wonderful uh, congressional representatives and senators and explain why ocean and coastal policy is so important and muck around up on the hill and do the hearings. It's a lot of work and a lot of fun. So I think we got two incredible guests, Tyler. Two different perspectives of coastal policy on the American shoreline coming straight at you from inside the Beltway. But first, a word from our sponsors. Support for the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today comes from Geodynamics, an NV5 company. Geodynamics team of specialists provide accurate surveys of complex coastal environments around the world using the latest technology in marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing. With customized vessels and sensor configurations, Geodynamics delivers meticulous data products to answer their clients' toughest questions. Visit nv5geospatial.com or geodynamicsgroup.com to learn more about Geodynamics and their solutions that improve lives. And from the Coastal Zone Foundation. The Certified Coastal Practitioner Program from the Coastal Zone Foundation offers courses covering 11 different subject areas, including coastal engineering, ecology, geology, project management, and more. 
The CCP program emphasizes a multidisciplinary approach to coastal zone management, setting you apart from the competition and demonstrating your commitment to best practices and a code of ethics in your field. With modules available online or as live short courses, the CCP program is accessible to coastal professionals at all stages of their careers. Learn more at CoastalZoneFoundation.org. And don't forget, subscribe to the CNT Daily Blast newsletter for the latest news and updates from around the American shoreline. Want to support our work? Learn more about sponsorship packages at CoastalNewsToday.com slash advertising. Well, Caitlin Manley and Jess Eason, two Canals Fellows, congratulations on your fellowships. I understand you started in 2023. Welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes, I'm very happy to be here. Jess Eason, you're with NOAA, uh, and, and Tyler and I joke about this, but it is our favorite federal agency. We have a lot of respect for the professionals that that work at that agency. Uh, you are in the Office of Legislative and Intergovernmental, Intergovernmental Affairs. But before we dive into the details, can you introduce yourself to our audience and, and tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so yeah, so I'm from Mansfield, Massachusetts. I love the ocean. Um, I did my undergraduate studies at Brown University in Rhode Island, and I got a degree in marine biology. I have a master's in neuroscience from the University of Rhode Island, and I recently finished up my second master's at Penn State in molecular, cellular, and integrative bioscience. <laughs> so interdisciplinary is the name. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of stuff going on there. That's an incredible background, and I'm excited to learn more. I'm excited to learn more. But first, let, let's uh, swing over to Caitlin. Uh, Caitlin, your name might sound familiar uh, to ASPN listeners. Caitlin Manley was on the Sea Change podcast a while back with uh, Jenna Valente hosting the show. But Caitlin, you've 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 really evolved in your career since then. Can you uh, introduce yourself to our audience that doesn't know you and catch us up? Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be back. Um, so I'm from Ventura, California, and also grew up really close to the ocean doing a lot of recreational ocean sports. Um, I went to the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and I studied marine biology there, received my bachelor's of science at that school, um, was more focused on coral conservation science and field research during that time. Um, and I believe when I originally was on the podcast, I was working with Fire Island National Seashore as a contractor doing community engagement. Right. Yeah, it was a, a special time. Um, but during that time, I knew that I wanted to go back to school and I wanted to dip my toes into policy and management. So I ended up coming back to California, drove cross country with my, uh, with my family, and I went to the UC Santa Barbara's Bren School of Environmental Science and Management, which is a highly interdisciplinary program, professional degree program. Um, and I specialized in coastal and marine resources management during that time. Um, and while I was there, I found the Knauss Fellowship, and here I am today. Well, I've got to say, I'm so happy you did. You you mentioned you're from Ventura. This is my hometown. I'm just so stoked that we have a Knauss representative from Ventura County currently in D.C. working on the American shoreline. It makes me really proud to be from here. Uh, I'm going to swing back to Jess really quickly. 
Jess, can you tell us just to just to give us a little flavor of of your background? You you mentioned you're you're from the coast there up in Massachusetts, and then neuroscience. Uh, can you walk us through kind of how you became how you followed that path, how you came to to follow that path? Yeah, so um, I started just you know really not knowing what I wanted to do with marine biology, just loving being curious about the ocean and how it worked. Um, in college as an undergraduate, I really loved organismal biology, so the diversity in body plans and reproductive systems. And I joined Casey Dunn's lab at Brown University, uh, where I started working with a graduate student uh, named Rebecca Helm. She's now a professor at Georgetown. Um, and she really let me just kind of explore. And I really got into the nervous system of jellyfish. And so I did most of my undergraduate research on how jellyfish neurons develop. You know, I didn't even know they had neurons. <laughs> I was like, these little squishy things, there's no way. But it's actually very complicated. And so <laughs> that, that really sparked my interest in learning more about it. So I did my original master's on figuring out how nervous, system e nervous systems evolve. So I did hydra and sea anemone jellyfish. Uh, nervous systems. And it turns out they have the same exact like chemical makeup as our nervous systems. And that blew my mind. <laughs> and so it was really fun. I thought you were going to say that they have the exact same nervous systems of Congress people. <laughs> <laughs> Your words, not mine. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but they're, they're super complicated. And um, it's like, do they have a brain? What is a brain? Like, what does that mean? And it's really good to be in that conversation with other scientists. And so that was my, that's how I got to neuroscience. It's really the evolution of ner uh, the nervous system, starting with what we call the squishies. So um, jellyfish, sea anemones, corals. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, it's such a fascinating, uh, to go from a hard science like that, uh, Jess, and uh, in your undergraduate in marine biology and then and then neuroscience and then your 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 second master's reminded me again it was an interdisciplinary program but i i really studied uh, microbiology and also some more uh, early evolved nervous system stuff uh, i mainly looked at the uh, symbiont so the little bug that lives inside of the hawaiian bobtail squid um, and that's really cool because that little bug is bioluminescent. So it glows. It has like a natural glow to it. And it lives inside of a special compartment of this like little baby squid <laughs> that's on the shore yeah. in Hawaii. And I was looking at like the genetics of the bug. And like, if you change the genetics of the bug, how does that impact the development of the squid? And that's super relevant for us and our uh, gut microbiome and the little bugs that live inside us. So it was really good to kind of switch over to that too. So let me ask, how does a scientist, and you are clearly in the hard sciences, find their way to Capitol Hill <laughs> and uh, in the Canals Fellowship? Uh, what inspired you to pursue this particular fellowship? And tell us, tell our audience about the Canals Fellowship, too. Yeah, so, man, grad school is hard. <laughs> I'm going to start there. It was... I, I had a different perspective of what science would be. And then I got to grad school and it seemed like it was boxing in my idea of what research findings and communication of those findings were. And so 
I didn't see the application of the science in a way that felt good to me in, in academia. So I, I was like, okay, it's definitely not what I want to do. One of my professors suggested, maybe you should look into policy. And I was like, well, what does that have to do with research? <laughs> um, and so I joined the Science Policy Society at Penn State, which is a fantastic group. Um, and I really got to learn what that means. And in that group, somebody suggested the Canals Fellowship, like as this marine policy fellowship where you get like hands-on experience with the people who are actually doing the work. Um, and whether that be specifically looking at literature and research and figuring out, okay, how does this uh, involve the public? How does this involve sustainability? And then there's a legislative side of everything. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Um, and it's a really rigorous process, the Canals Fellowship. Uh, it's definitely not for the faint of heart, but it's worth it. Like it, I definitely feel like it has exceeded my expectations. Um, and now I'm, I'm doing more of the legislation legislative work of figuring out how you go from research, you know, under a microscope to then working with the communities. And then how do these voices like coincide and coalesce and turn into legislation? So that is super exciting to me. And that's the opportunity that Canals Fellowship has given me. I love that. And Caitlin, I'd like to uh, basically follow the same line of questions for you. Uh, you you also had an interesting career in academia prior to taking on this fellowship, and now you're in the nation's capital working on national, coastal, and ocean policy. Uh, talk a little bit about that evolution. Sure. So kind of similar to what Jess was saying and her interests and involvement with integrating community perspectives and voices, my interest in policy really started when I was working at Fire Island National Seashore, and my position was unique in the sense that I was a community volunteer ambassador, which basically meant that I was creating service learning opportunities and volunteer opportunities for the local communities that were nearby to the National Seashore, regardless of their ability to access the seashore. So that also included a lot of disadvantaged communities um, and a lot of communities of color that historically have not been included in access to public lands. Um, I noticed that during my time at Fire Island, and I really wanted to open that door and explore more about how to integrate those um, perspectives into decision making regarding our public lands. So because of that, I went back to school, went to UCSB, started my research and my work at Bren. And it's a highly interdisciplinary program in which we do a lot of um, collaborative work with external clients, as well as um, neighboring entities. So one of them was the Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary. And we worked with them um, in classes, but also with my graduate research. Um, one of the best classes that I took at the Bren School was Coastal Policy and Management. It was taught by Sean Hastings, who's the Resource Protection Coordinator for the Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary. And he was phenomenal. He taught me the ins and outs of what it means to integrate um, current policy and evidence-based policy into decision-making. He also introduced me to sanctuary management councils and the uh, people that are on those councils that support the decision-making within public lands, like a national marine sanctuary, like a national park, like a national wildlife refuge and how my background in academia and the hard sciences could be used and um, 
applied to further the goals of public lands management. Um, so a compilation of my on the ground work at Fire Island, as well as my studies at the Bren School kind of created like a perfect amalgamation of interest in policy and management. And Sean Hastings, big shout out to him and Bren School, he's the first person to put Knaus on my radar. And he actually encouraged me to apply for the fellowship. He wrote a letter of recommendation for me and he helped review a lot of my application materials. So I owe him a lot. And I continue to look back at that experience and really value the amazing like cohort of mentors, advisors, and colleagues and classmates that were at the Brun School that just further reinstated how important it is that we have people that are applying all of the science that we've worked on and studied throughout our extensive educational careers and apply that to actual decisions that are shaping how we manage our coastal and marine resources. It sounds fabulous. And and for the folks out there, and we've done shows, uh, Tyler, in the past with Canals Fellows. In fact, uh, Taylor Gels, who hosts the Ocean Decade uh, podcast on ASPN, is a Canals Fellow. And uh, we do have a lot of respect for the selections that are made in this program. It's super rigorous, as y'all have said. I understand both of you guys are 2023 fellows. Um, and are these one-year ter- uh, terms, Jess, uh, these Canals Fellowships? Yes, they're one-year terms. They start in February and they end on January 31st. So we're at the beginning, I guess, of the or the end of the first quarter of your tenure. Uh, Jess, give us an overview of, of what has been on your plate at the Office of Legislative and Intergovernmental Affairs at NOAA. Um, give us an insight into what's cooking on Capitol Hill and ocean and coastal policy from your perspective. Yeah, this has been such an opportunity. So my office is the congressional liaison for NOAA's six line offices. So whether that's NOAA satellites, the Weather Service, our research branch, Fish and uh, Fish Services, um, and then the National uh, Ocean Science Office. Um, and then we have OMAO, which is Marine and uh, Aviation Operations. And so we basically, anything they need from Congress, any communication they need or have with Congress, my office is tasked with preparing them for those interactions and facilitating those interactions. And there has been a lot going on (laughs) in this particular uh, year. I mean, it's a new Congress. So, uh, you know, people are on the Hill trying to make a name for themselves. And Noah has done a great job of trying to stick with, you know, its mission and um, prioritizing marine and coastal research and uh, resource sustainability. So, um, and one thing I will say that has been most exciting for me is actually the work we get to do with tribes. So I don't think a lot of people know that uh, most of these agencies, federal agencies have some sort of relationship with tribes. But one thing in my portfolio that I get to help with is uh, tribal liaison. So, you know, going into this fellowship, I was really interested in communities and how their voices show up in legislation. And when you think about tribes and and, and native people, that was just something super curious to me because how we learn about that in school does not always translate into the reality. And so seeing that from the government perspective and helping and working with a, a fantastic team of people in NOAA to facilitate 
uh, those tricky relationships has, have been like super rewarding and super eye opening for me. Um, I also get to work with the regional collaboration network. So, you know, the leaders around the country that are also sort of liaisons for NOAA's line offices and then headquarters and just management, once again, of like the regional needs, because people in Massachusetts, their needs are not necessarily the same as the people in South Dakota or California. And so it's really cool to, to meet with this group of people who represent these needs and, and prioritize the needs of the region. Um, and be the liaison for them specifically to Congress. So I, I get to do like the Great Lakes area has a day on the hill. So we um, get to go and meet with, we met with a lot of new members of Congress to tell them about the needs of the Great Lakes and how NOAA resources um, and leadership are really prioritizing um, the constituents of the congressional members. So it, it's really good. It's really cool. And like to see how policy is written um, to sit in the rooms for hearings and to prep NOAA leadership. I mean, Dr. Spinrad, uh, who is the NOAA administrator, he is amazing um, at his job. He's very caring, and I've got to interact with him quite a few times. And just being able to see how, like I said, the science connects with the legislation has been amazing. Love to hear that. And and before I kick it over to Caitlin, Jess, I just want to know, how how is it how how do uh, elected officials receive this information that when you when you get to talk to them and you get like get to evangelize all this cool stuff that NOAA's doing and the exciting research in the ocean and coastal space and I know at NOAA it even goes beyond that into the atmosphere and climate change and things like that is there is it well received by our elected officials and the staffers that that work with them yeah I mean I have actually been surprised at how good of a relationship. Uh, this agency NOAA has with the Hill. I mean, Dr. Spinrad had a, a hearing on uh, one of the House subcommittees last week about the FY24 budget, and it went very well. I mean, everybody has an agenda, right? That's politics. And so some things get a little spicy, but I think overall the relationship is really good. And it's it's actually nice to hear what they're interested in and how they, what their perspective is of the science that's being done. And so we get a lot of back and forth, just them wanting to know more, whether that's, you know, the Senate or the house and not even necessarily for their own agendas, but general curiosity. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And it was, it was very unexpected because it's not what you see on like C-SPAN or CNN. And I'm like, Oh, the reality of this situation is actually quite pleasant. So that's been good. I love to hear it. Okay. Uh, quickly, uh, Caitlin, um, I I know you're doing exciting stuff over there too at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Could you walk us through what your day-to-day looks like, what it is that you're working on uh, over there at that agency? Yeah, definitely. So I think that the Knauss Fellowship loves to kind of like compartmentalize what type of position you're going to be in, whether it's a 30,000 foot level position or a ground level position. And after settling into my role, I'm very aware that mine is a ground level position. I'm working on projects that we're able to see the benefits of almost immediately. And I'm working with a lot of our practitioners in the regions and in the field. So the branch of coastal and marine resources sits within the ecological services program. And our mission is to provide national leadership and the administration of both the Coastal Barrier Resources Act, 
otherwise known as COBRA, Mm. and the Marine Mammal Protection Act. And the branch provides policy guidance, tools, training, and expertise that cultivates a nationwide community of practice that ultimately enhances coastal resiliency and supports marine mammal conservation. Yeah, it kind of spans a lot of different types of projects, um, but ultimately resiliency in marine mammal conservation is the goal. Well, I've got to ask, Caitlin, I mean, uh, one of the most uh, predominant marine mammal protection issues that uh, we've had a chance to follow on Coastal News Today and even on ASPN uh, on the network uh, really has to do with the North Atlantic right whale. Have you come across that particular group in that particular issue? And is there anything that you can enlighten our listeners about uh, the topic of the, the ongoing discussion of how how to protect the North Atlantic right whale and the threats from shipping and lobsters traps. Yes. So the right whale issue is definitely on my radar, but actually fish and wildlife does not have jurisdiction over the management and conservation of cetaceans and porpoises. So the U S fish and wildlife service has jurisdiction over the polar bear, Pacific walrus, sea otters and manatees. And that's actually it. NIMPS, the National Marine yeah. Fishery Service under NOAA, has jurisdiction over the cetaceans. So um, it's on my radar, but unfortunately, we're not able to work on any issues related to that. Okay, that's good to know. You know, I did not, you know, I did not know that distinction. I have to say, in all the many years I've been mucking around on coastal issues, you just got canoused. I just got canoused. I just learned some. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a species uh, distinction there. That's that's really great. Well. Um, I, I would like to. I'd like to learn a little bit more um, about what you hope to accomplish. Each of you in your Canals fellowships, as the clock ticks, as you said, it's the end of January next year. It's it goes by pretty quickly. Uh, Caitlin, looking ahead, and then Jess, if you wouldn't mind, um, what are you hoping to accomplish in in your fellowship, and and perhaps uh, uh, where would you like to to go from there? Yeah, so that's such a you know a broad question that I think is weighing on all of our minds, all of us in this class fellowship. <laughs> but um, ultimately, you know, like I signed up for this fellowship so that I could contribute to meaningful policy guidance development and implementation, and I've had the chance to work on that thus far. It's been great. Um, I've been able to help prepare for legislative hearings before Congress. I've also been able to help advise some of our regions and our field biologists on consultation issues related to the Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, the COBRA program in which I was talking about earlier, it's a really, uh, it's a map-based legislation. So I've been helping to support mapping efforts in response to requests from Congress, um, property owners, and congressional mandates. Um, also have helped with the build out of internal guidance and internal websites for fish and wildlife. So really just strengthening my portfolio, adding some programs and some documents and tangible items to the list of things I'm working on. Um, And I'm really excited to continue working on things like that. It's also the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act. So Fish and Wildlife has been doing a lot of fun things to promote that and bring awareness to the importance of the Endangered Species Act, as well as the Marine Mammal Protection Act. Um, 
In addition to that, you know, actually the Marine Mammal Protection Act was amended last year through the fiscal year 23 National Defense Authorization Act. Um, And there was a few amendments in that that changed the way that marine mammal practitioners across the nation are going to go about um, implementing their conservation and management protocols. So I'm actually helping um, guide some of that and further instruct some of our practitioners in the field on how to to implement the new protocols, as well as prepare them for some of the reports and deliverables that are required from the amendments. Um, One of those being the marine mammal response capabilities in the Arctic report. So that's really going to be important for our Alaska region as they, like I said, have jurisdiction over the Pacific walrus, the polar bear, and then there's also some um, subpopulations of sea otters up there that we're working to manage. So there's a lot going on. Um, a lot to do, but ultimately, I think just building out my portfolio and meeting the right people is the name of the game. Um, we're constantly networking and meeting new people. Like they, they encourage us to do what we call coffee chats every week. So chatting with different people, uh, different offices, different agencies too. So me being in fish and wildlife, you know, I've just been talking a lot with the fish and wildlife um, headquarters and then regions and field practitioners. But I'm really excited to also start chatting with NOAA a little bit more, FEMA, Department of Defense, um, as well as people on the Hill. Like, we can cast a wide net here, so the world is really our oyster. That's what's so great about the Canals Fellowship, Tyler, is the expansive opportunity that it, it introduced you. I love that. But, Caitlin, you're talking about your portfolio of issues that you really get exposed to a wide variety. Jess, how about you? You've got... What are you looking forward to in the rest of your fellowship? What do you hope to accomplish personally and professionally? And where does this fellowship perhaps take you? Yeah, I mean, I love the where does it take you part just because, as Caitlin said, it could really go wherever you want. And it's it's so wide. Um, yeah, I I really love the congressional part of this. I, I love the legislative part of of science from the perspective of a scientist. And um, I'm also, as I mentioned, really interested in that community aspect. So I'm a woman of color. I know what it's like to live in this country as a woman of color, to be a scientist and to be a lover of the ocean and its resources. And I would like to see that be reflected more in policy or at least be a part of the conversation. And so one thing I really have come into this fellowship and in this position in that mindset is what are the, what's the broad perspective? You know, how is, how is Noah doing that? And what does that look like? And where are the gaps? And right now, I think by just talking to people, uh, getting introduced to different perspectives has been the best possible part of this fellowship. And one thing I will say is as fellows, we are resources for each other, right? So there are a bunch of fellows who are only on the Hill. So they're the legislative fellows. Caitlin and I are executive fellows. So we work, you know, in the executive branch part of um, the federal government. But we, you know, it's really cool to hear what everybody's doing. Like, I don't get to work with Fish and Wildlife Services. So just the exposure to, you know, what, what does that look like? You know, NIMS, I'm more familiar with NIMS because our office works with NIMS, but hearing what the other side of, of, the different, um, you know, regulatory measures that Fish and Wildlife Services might um, be a part of, you know, like, how do they handle it? It's two completely different agencies, but they're working on similar things. So it's very broad. Um, 
I would like to stay in the con- congressional legislative part of things. I haven't really, you know, I'm, I'm not saying the Hill is really for me yet. I don't think I'm quite there, but um, I do love the work that my office does. And it's so collaborative and it's so supportive. And I get to reach into different portfolios. So I have my own portfolio. Each uh, person in our office specializes uh, as a congressional liaison for uh, all the six different line offices. And so I get to see what everybody's working on and how they facilitate briefings when there's a, a slight emergency, which means just a last minute thing has come up. Like, what does that look like? Um, and just learning how to do the job, but maintain my own goals and perspective has been um, my, uh, you know, the jewel in the center of my experience as a Canals fellow. Well, I love that. And, you know, Peter, there's, you can just tell, ladies and gentlemen, listening to Caitlin and Jess talk about what they're working yeah. on, their backgrounds, uh, their understanding of the broad federal policy landscape. Uh, it's just it's just outstanding stuff. And I know, Caitlin and Jess, it might be a little uh, nerve wracking to think about what the future holds. But for those of us that get to listen to you talk, it just it's very clear that Wherever you go, you will find success. Uh, you're you're clearly just tremendous assets for the American shoreline, and that's true with every single Canals fellow I have ever had the pleasure of speaking with. It's just a, an outstanding group, yeah. and and that kind of brings me to my next line of questions. Uh, this will be another one for both of you. We'll have Jess start, but any advice that you would give to prospective Canals fellows, people who are maybe considering it. Uh, what would you advise them to do? Um, if you're considering it, do it. <laughs> De- definitely just jump in uh, and really <laughs> come into it with an open mind. Like I couldn't imagine doing this fellowship with anything very specific. And that might sound a little weird, but chances are you're going to do that in about a hundred other things and being able to just go with the flow, even the, the, application process, I would say, be be open to going with the flow because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of, uh, it feels like you're moving in the dark, but you encounter so many great things in the process. Um, and being comfortable with that is, is not always easy, but it's so much fun. Um, I've had so much fun in the few months I've been here and I think it's come with me sort of settling down a little bit and just realizing that, you know, you're, you're just going wherever this ship takes you. And, uh, that's very exciting. That's so true. Caitlin, what do you think? I could echo all of that, especially the going with the flow portion. Um, I think that starting the application process and jumping into the fellowship is not what I expected it to be at all. Um, there was some offices that really interested me that I never thought I would find interest in. Um, there were offices that I thought hands down would be for me. And then at the end of the day, I was like, Oh, I don't really find that to be what's going to like ignite my fire anymore. Um, but I will say that if you are in a graduate program or like a law program, regardless of whatever the program is, and you're already considering Knaus, you're probably in the right position to apply. And like, I have met so many amazing people through this fellowship. Every time I talk to somebody new, including Jess, I'm just like, wow, you did that? Like, that's so impressive. Um, So you're constantly in this state of (laughs) thinking like, oh, I have everything figured out, but we really have none of it figured out with respect to um, other people's 
um, research focuses. Like everybody in this fellowship has such a unique background and they're specialists in what they studied. So you can learn continuously from the people that you're in the cohort with. Um, I will say though that a pro tip for maybe applying to the fellowship and setting yourself um, ahead of the pack would maybe to get and be get involved with your state sea grant program early on. Um, if there's any research opportunities out there that your state, the state that you are currently in a graduate position or graduate program in, is um, looking for people to participate in other research, like jump on that. I luckily was able to help with some research at the University of Southern California Sea Grant Program. And that really opened the door for me to have um, constructive conversations around the program and the fellowship. And I got a lot more answers about my questions. So I think that if you communicate early on with your state Sea Grant, that'll definitely look good in the application process. Wow. It, it makes me really curious about more about the process. Uh, it is a Sea Grant driven, I believe, process. How many, so how many Canals Fellows roughly are selected every year? And what range of placement opportunities in the federal government are you allowed to examine? Uh, maybe Jess, can you give that a shot? Yeah. So um, this year we have, I think there's 86 of us. <laughs> and I believe we're the biggest cohort uh, to date. I'm not sure if they're working on expanding that. It sounds like they're settling at around where our number is this year, but it like it was kind of overwhelming for the range of exposure during you know placement week um, because you so first you have to decide whether or not you want to be a legislative fellow or an executive fellow, and the legislative fellows work in the offices of congressional members, whether that's in the House or the Senate or on a committee. Um, And so they're directly on the Hill. They have offices on the Hill. And the rest of us on the executive side will, like Caitlin and I, will work with a specific agency or a specific um, office. And so the jobs are quite different, but that's sort of the first line of, of choices. And then, you know, for us on the executive side, you have, you know, FEMA was... And, and not even just FEMA, it's different offices within FEMA that you could be, you know, you have a choice to joining Fish and Wildlife Services. I believe the Department of Transportation, we have fellows in the White House. And then you have a huge agency like NOAA, where, like I said, you have a whole bunch of line offices. Um, we even have somebody, um, I believe, who's in the Marine Mammal uh, Commission office, which doesn't really fall under anything in particular. So there is just such a wide range. And I think, you know, during placement week, I did, I think we did about 20 interviews within about three or four days, which was wild. (laughs) And I needed a lot of coffee and snacks. It's like speed dating, but but with real implication. It it, it was literally speed dating. It was speed dating and like you took notes I mean, I don't know if you take notes on speed dating. Maybe, maybe you should. I'm not sure, but it was. I bet Canals fellows do. Yeah, I bet they do. No, but it was so great, and it was it was uh, it was a whirlwind of a process. But um, I, like Caitlin said, I was so surprised. Like the things that I I didn't I didn't think I would end up in an office like this. I was like, ooh, coral reefs, like ocean stuff. And then I'm in an office that doesn't <laughs> anything, any of those things. So it, you, you never know what you're going to get until you put yourself out there and really like engage. So it's a good process. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you are interested in learning more about the Canals Fellowship, you can just Google it. It's probably the easiest way to get there. There is a, a URL. I'll put it in the uh, description to the show. I won't say it here because it's it's not the most concise, kind of a classic government URL there. But uh, the bottom line is this is a premier program. Uh, if you are interested in it, just learn more about it. It's It's just so cool. And uh, let's see, Caitlin, I want to circle back to you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about current events that are happening right now. And I know this might actually impact both you and Jess, uh, but the Chumash, uh, the proposed Chumash National Marine Sanctuary is kind of working its way through. Caitlin, you've got experience out here on the West Coast in this region. Uh, Thoughts on this proposed uh, marine sanctuary? And is it, are we making progress there? Oh, you're speaking my language. I'm doing a little dance in my chair right now because I love this proposal. Um, yeah, so the Chumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary would be the first indigenous, like, promoted national marine sanctuary within the system. Um, I'm from Ventura, like we had talked about. You're from Ventura, and the Chumash uh, tribe are within, like, Ventura County and Santa Barbara County. So this hits close to home for me. Um, when I was at the Bren School, my master's thesis was working with the Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary and the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary. And if the Chumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary is designated and created, it would technically um, stretch the uh, protection of all three. So it would be the largest swath of coastline in California that's fully protected. Um, I think it's a beautiful idea. I love to see a sanctuary um, set forward and promoted by indigenous perspectives. And I could rave about this all day, every day. Um, The Santa Barbara Channel and the California Bight are such unique marine ecosystems that provide protection um, and home to a variety of really unique species. Um, It's a huge migratory pathway for cetaceans. And there's also the Northern Channel Islands that are within that region, um, which were also home to the Chumash tribe as well. Um, so I think that the future is looking bright for that. I really hope that it does get designation. And I would love to be able to work on resource management related to that potential National Marine Sanctuary. Um, that is like ultimate goal of a position that I could be in post-fellowship. Jess, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean that sounds great. And like I said, we're we're on the end of helping getting getting those things through Congress, right? And making sure those things happen and facilitating the right relationships and discussions for making that happen. But I agree. I I'm for it. I it excites me as well as, as a lover of the coast and the ocean. I think it's a, a great thing. But you know, the politics of it all. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it's so the politics. <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure that out. Um, but yeah, things are moving and it's really exciting. Well, it's it's true. It's a, I like to say when it comes to coastal and marine issues, it's all politics. And I mean that in the very best way, which is uh, major decisions on the American shoreline are made in, through public processes, either state, local or federal. And political skill and understanding of the process and how to persuade people and bring people to consensus is absolutely essential uh, for coastal professionals to understand. I, this is why I love the Canals Fellowship, uh, the fact that they immerse scientists who are technically very deep and intelligent and brilliant people 
into the policy and the politics of the world because that's where the decisions get made. So uh, it is such a wonderful program. And and uh, when it comes to the Shumash and uh, Heritage National Marine Sanctuary, we, we Tyler and I had the privilege of having Violet Sage Walker, the tribal leader, on the podcast uh, back. Boy, it was late 2021, I think, Tyler, early 2022, when this was just getting off the ground. And uh, such an important effort um, and requires the act of Congress and all of the great federal agencies involved in ocean and coastal policy. So we are privileged to talk to both of you. Uh, Caitlin, final thoughts on your Canals Fellowship and then Jess, same for you. Ooh, um, I'm so honored and privileged to be in this position. I think that it's been a long process for me to get to where I want to, to get to where I've wanted to be in my career journey. And I feel very secure and happy at the moment. Um, and if there's anybody out there listening to this that is considering doing this fellowship or feeling like they have imposter syndrome surrounding jumping into a fellowship of such prestige, you're not alone. I felt the same way. I continue to feel the same way. And you know what? I'm just going with the flow. And I think that um, if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Aw, that is so great. I love that. Thank you so much. I need to hear that encouragement. <laughs> Jess, what about you? Final thoughts on your experience as a Canals Fellow and what you're hoping for? Yeah, um, I I second everything that Caitlin said. I'm so honored to be here. It really is a privilege and it wasn't a journey I saw coming, but I'm so glad it's a journey that I'm on. Um, and everybody has been so supportive from my fellow fellows to my office to NOAA. Like people understand what it's like to be at this point in your career and there's encouragement along the way. Um, and then a note on if you are interested in the fellowship, like, please reach out to the fellows. Like, I believe our information is listed um, on the website. And we love talking about this. This is great. And it's so funny because we really don't know what we're doing. <laughs> or at least we feel like we don't know what we're doing most of the time. But we all are doing really cool stuff and we're doing it very well. So, uh, yeah, just just take the leap. Yeah, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Well, what a thrill. It's such a great uh, it's such a great opportunity, Tyler, every once in a while to check in with the Canals Fellows. We need to do it every year. I just love talking to this such a great caliber, important group of uh, people who are going to be uh, professionals that are really going to help shape the future of the American shoreline. So it's always a treat, Tyler, to do this show. Indeed it is. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Caitlin Manley. She is a Canals Fellow with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, uh, service in the Coastal and Marine Resources Branch, and Jess Eason, a Canals Fellow with my favorite federal agency, NOAA. She is in the Office of Legislative and Intergovernmental Affairs, two young professionals, experts in their craft. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with the listeners on the American Shoreline Podcast. We can't, can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. 